I'm Catherine Lawrence. You might remember me from the science fiction show as the voice of an alien searching the highlands of Scotland for well-muscled hitchhiking men to kidnap for her factory farm. I'm really a vegan campaigner with a background in law and environmental planning. Back in 2002, I visited the island of Borneo and travelled through the rainforest to an orangutan sanctuary. Back then, the island was mostly forest, but since, the world's consumption of palm oil has doubled, often at the expense of the habitats of animals such as these iconic primates. Here in the UK, some animal advocates react by banning palm oil from their local vegan festival and try to convince the vegan society to throw palm oil products out of the trademark scheme. I wanted to disentangle all the issues. And like you, I know where to go to do this. Welcome to the show, Catherine. What are the consequences for animals? The very devastating impact on the orangutans when they arrive, whether they're traumatised or whether they're injured. Why is it so ubiquitous? From cooking oil to shampoo to vegan margarine. Probably a thousand derivatives in 60-70% of products in the supermarket. We will talk to expert ecologists, a primatologist, a vegan baker, the boss of the Round Table on Sustainable Palm Oil, and an Indonesian vegan punk rocker who resettles orangutans. This is Ian MacDonald and Catherine Lawrence getting to the bottom of whether palm oil is really the vegan option. We were walking through and suddenly the the forest came to an abrupt stop. British primatologist Georgina Ash. And we just stumbled across an area of of illegal slash and burn. And there were still sort of cinders smouldering and, you know, the sort of proximity of human settlements and the orangutan habitat. The loss of the different equatorial forests affects all the animal species there. But for many people, orangutans symbolise that threatened biodiversity. They are. They do have this absolutely beautiful fur that really illuminates um, when you sort of see them in, in the light. They have this incredible mental map of the forest. So they remember and their whole movement is dictated by trees that flower and plants that fruit and at different times of the year. So that knowledge is passed on. Indonesian vegan palm oil activist Danny Hendato sings sweary punk rants like this one against palm oil. The title, I'll just say it and bleep it, translates as f- palm oil. When I visit Indonesian Borneo, I see how the forests have become palm oil plantations. And that is the biggest threat to the continued existence of orangutans in Indonesia. When they create new plantations, we have to, reluctantly, rescue the baby orangutans without the mothers, who are left behind to die. Usually it is when a mother has strayed onto cropland or something and when they are discovered they are chased off or beaten or possibly machetes. They might starve to death actually because of the the loss of habitat. The babies are then occasionally taken and put into the pet trade. Hunters trapping orangutans for sale is one way to open up the forest for the palm oil companies to remove the orangutans that they regard as pests. To understand why this happens, we've got to discuss global supply and demand. I talked to two experts. I'm a tropical ecologist 
and um, I worked at the World Bank for 23 years. I'd mainly heard of vegan ecologist Robert Goodland for his claim that animal farming causes half of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, over double what the UN Food and Agriculture Organization say. Malaysia and Indonesia are the biggest destroyers of rainforest for oil palm, and you've seen the, all the smoke that's irritated Singapore and southern Malaysia. Malaysia and Indonesia are equatorial. They share nearly all of the island of Borneo. Indonesia is a massive archipelago of thousands of islands. And you might remember me travelling through continental Malaysia in a previous show. Together they produce 88% of the world's palm oil. Africa is catching up. That's where the new oil palm frontier seems to be. I also talked to Professor of Geography Eric Lamban from Belgium, an expert in land use change. Oil palm is the uh, crop that uh, is experiencing the fastest rate of expansion since at least 2000. It's very clear also that this expansion is mostly taking place as a monoculture and at the expense of natural tropical forests that usually are very rich in biodiversity and also store quite a lot of carbon. Can I ask what is driving the demand for palm oil? It, it has such a low labour requirement and, and a very high return per hectare this is somehow trumping any other land use in terms of profitability. You know, these farmers do not have to do much. They just plant these trees and wait for a few years. They go one year, once a year with their tractor and collect the fruits and, and sell it at quite a high price. So in, indeed, it's a, a, a very tough competition against the other land users. So palm oil ends up in food, cosmetics and biofuel. Let me bring in Daryl Weber, Secretary General of the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil, who, given his job, obviously gives palm oil some qualified support. He asks if we can expect poor countries not to use their resources. Palm oil is best grown between a narrow band on the planet, which is 10 degrees north and 10 degrees south of the equator. With the exception of Singapore, you will find that there are no developed countries in that band. Palm oil probably has the, is the most labor-intensive crop compared to any other vegetable oil crop. For example, in soy, you can manage on your own like 100 hectares. Whereas in palm oil, you need one person to every five hectares. Campaigner Danny Hendarto disagrees. 70% of the palm oil companies in Indonesian Borneo are dominated by foreigners. The citizens can hardly enjoy the natural resources now. When I was in Kalimantan, I talked to one of the villagers. He said he was more prosperous before the palm oil companies came. He used to be able to meet his daily needs from the forest. He made money from selling rubber, rattan crafts and other natural resources. A big part of the problem is that Indonesia is particularly corrupt. In the bottom third of countries for both rule of law and corruption, according to Transparency International. And palm oil companies should pay taxes, but most of the time, they don't. I think Danny makes some powerful arguments to leave the forest standing, not just for the sake of the animals and long-term health of the planet, but for shorter-term human well-being and livelihoods too. But are the alternatives to palm oil any better? If we decide to boycott palm oil, would there be other sources of oil for the products that currently use palm oil um, with today's population? The land footprint per unit of production of palm oil is much lower than for any other vegetable oil crops. 
And, and if we think in terms of the oil yield, in the case of uh, palm oil, it's about a eight to nine fold higher than that of any other temperate oil seed crops. By if you think by banning palm oil avoids defore a hectare of rainforest deforestation in say Southeast Asia, think again because it's going, you're going to lose maybe four to ten hectares in the Cerrado in Brazil for soy. The demand for soy is driven primarily by the demand for livestock who, who eat most of it. Whereas the, the demand for palm oil is driven largely by the demand for vegetable, which obviously is why the vegan option is doing an episode on palm oil and not an episode on soy. If there is one tonne of oil missing in the global equation of vegetable oils, it has to be replaced by some other oil. And the only oil that can probably replace that missing one tonne because of the current huge volumes of oil that we have is soy. So one could easily argue that uh, consuming a lot of palm oil, in fact, is sparing land for nature. But not really. But because it's so cheap, it's creating more demand. And a lot of our, our goods and, uh, and, and, and processed foods and even soaps and shampoos incorporate palm oil now because it's such a cheap commodity. So if we would boycott palm oil, it would be wrong to assume that 100% of the demand would shift to some other vegetable oils. You know, if it would be the case, most probably the overall global scale impact would be worse. Rainforest destruction also releases large quantities of greenhouse gases. As Robert Goodland sums up... But palm oil is only cheaper because social and environmental costs are externalised. We still pay those costs while the oil palm producer doesn't. Everyone concerned with climate change, especially, and also extinction of biodiversity, ethics, social injustice, pollution, will avoid any oil palm-related foods and products. What does everyone else think? Listener Tanya Sitton, who presents the Food Politics podcast, Progressive Kitch, commented on the veganoption.org to say that she doesn't diss palm oil to newbies, writing, quote, I don't think it's technically not vegan but it seems to do a lot of harm in the world, and I don't need it, so I don't eat it. I also tried to find out what other vegans thought at VegFest UK in Bristol, starting with Kerry McCarthy, a local member of the Parliament who has been on this show a couple of times before. It's, it's, it's one of those debates where it, it took quite a long time for people to realise that this was actually a threat. At one point it was seen as um, a healthy alternative to other products. So I think it's important now that you've got products that are marked as orangutan friendly or you can buy products that don't have palm oil in. The impact on um, the rainforest essentially. Yeah, very much against it. I've been, I've been in Borneo and have to drive 100 miles through a palm oil plantation. It's just palm oil as far as you can see. Palm oil is, is pretty decent. We're actually selling palm oil soaps now at the moment as well. There's a major concern over the impact of palm oil on habitat for endangered species. Well, I, I, I don't know the, enough information about that, to be totally honest, but um, if there is, that's certainly something we'd look into. It's in hundreds of veggie products. It's really hard to get products without it. It's in pretty much everything. And I go out my way to try and avoid it the best I can. And then I find myself eating certain products. I look at the ingredients and there's palm oil in it. It's just another handy product. And um, recently I've been chatting with some of my vegan friends. We're discussing that actually palm oil is not vegan. Um, despite the fact it doesn't come from an animal, it's uh, very destructive and damaging. 
I think it's difficult because obviously it's brilliant that they're technically vegan, but I don't see that the vegan society should be uh, should be supporting something like that. In other news, I'm a guest at VegFest UK London in October, where the Vegan Option panel will be finding some funny answers to those annoying questions vegans seem to get asked. If you're in London on October the 5th, please come. There was some mention there of the UK Vegan Society trademark, the UK's main vegan label. In 2011, palm oil activists called a vote on banning palm oil products from carrying that trademark. The then chair of trustees, George Ridger, said it was a bona fide plant product and the problem was with the production means, not with the palm tree itself. Palm oil can be cultivated in a sustainable way. In fact, small-time farmers in Africa have been growing it for hundreds of years um, in perfect balance with the environment. But uh, unfortunately, the big multinational companies don't want to buy from small-time farmers. They want to have vast plantations. Some of the vegans at VegFest UK said they had trouble avoiding palm oil. VegFest UK has quite a lot of vegan junk food and animal product analogues, and quite a few stallholders told me they used it. Now, if you need saturated fat, like for a vegan margarine, palm oil is one of the few plant sources. I'm not a junk food fan like Ian. Excuse me? But I do like my Eritrean food, and they traditionally do use it. Well, well, I wanted to discover why um, so many vegan products had palm oil. So I went to the London suburb of Brixton to the vegan bakery of Melissa Morgan, a.k.a. Ms. Cupcake. You know, we here at the bakery, we'd like to tell everyone that we are 100% palm oil free, and we certainly do not use palm oil as a raw ingredient in anything that we produce. However, we're in a bit of a, between a rock and a hard place because every single brand of dairy-free margarine that is available in the United Kingdom may contain a percentage of palm oil. And obviously it's a huge concern for me as a vegan business owner and as a vegan myself. I'm in contact with the manufacturers every single month, like clockwork, on the phone and through email asking them can they let me know how much a percentage they have i think you know the sort of main um, brand may contain up to 14 percent palm oil in their soya brand and may contain up to 17 percent palm oil in their um, sunflower brand what about coconut fats there, one of the bakeries is that. I tell you, when, when I'm at home, I um, certainly um, use things like coconut oil. Avocado is an amazing ingredient, which you can turn into a frosting as well. Um, and there's loads of other things that can be used on a small scale. The problem is, all of these alternatives are um, exceptionally expensive. And when we looked at um, converting all of our icings um, to using coconut oils, we not only would it put our pricing point up by 90 additional pence. Um, from 240 to, to 310, so from three or four dollars to about five dollars. Um, and in addition to that, we also now would not have an ambient product. Um, we should be able to have a vegan margarine that does not contain palm oil. So I feel actually, as um, someone who is trying to evoke change in the world, that it's a much better situation for me to say, we want to use your product, this is how, you know, and, and by consistently badgering the companies, I feel that, you know, eventually, uh, hopefully, they will start to listen. Many other non-vegan margarines, especially in Europe, also contain palm oil, as well as containing dairy and other animal products with their much higher pain footprint for the animals they use directly. 
but given all the issues we've heard about, is there such a thing as ethical palm oil? We heard from the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil, or RSPO, earlier. It includes campaigning groups as well as corporates. Secretary-General Darrell Weber himself is originally from the conservation group WWF. Ms Cupcake's main margarine supplier, Pure, are part of Kerry Foods, or RSPO members, and they told us they only buy from RSPO suppliers, that their membership obliges them to report where they are on their path to only getting certified sustainable palm oil. So what did they report? Like too many RSPO members, they didn't bother to do their paperwork last year. Did they bother the year before? 2010-11, they did. One or two percent of Kerry's palm oil was certified sustainable. Unfortunately, that compares to roughly 10% of that year's global palm oil production. They did promise to do their 2012-13 paperwork by the September deadline, so I'll check and update the veganoption.org. In the USA, leading brand Earth Balance get their organic palm oil from Brazil and the rest from RSPO members in mainland Malaysia, where there are no orangutans. If I was in the US, I think I'd want more information about what their suppliers were doing there. Danny Hendato doesn't trust RSPO members at all. He says it's a joke to them. A few of the worst offenders have been forced out of the RSPO, but the worry is that just leaves them free to wreak havoc. By contrast, if you're in the RSPO, like Kerry Foods, you are expected to move towards CSPO. Certified Sustainable Palm Oil. Traceable all the way back through the supply train to a plantation that abides by RSPO rules. Rules that include the informed consent of the local human population and protection for wildlife. But that CSPO seems hard to get hold of. The RSPO's Daryl Weber again. So what I'm saying is the certified sustainable palm oil is still a niche product right now. It's still 15% of the global production of palm oil. And in fact, you can get it, but there's some logistical hurdles. So you need really forward planning. For example, in the Netherlands and Belgium and now France and Germany, the industry got together and tried to collaborate and understand just where the hurdles are, signaling in advance the demand so that the producers can understand where and when you need uh, this product. This pressure has been on large manufacturers like, say, Earth Balance for a number of years. At what point would you say, actually, it's the manufacturer, particularly in large markets like the United States, it's actually the manufacturer's fault they should have been able to sort it out by now? I don't know how to apportion the blame, and, and this is why. You see, there is one simple way to support certified sustainable palm oil today. Well, just a little bit of backtrack. I don't know if you know, only 50% of all our certified sustainable palm oil is absorbed in the market today, only 50%. But there are certainly manufacturers who say, we want to buy it, we haven't managed to get hold of it. You know, those who say they can't get hold of it, say it because for a variety of reasons. And one of the common reasons is logistics, pushing it through the supply chain. Now, one easy way to bypass this is something that people have made into a controversy which is the Green Palm uh, Certificates. Green Palm Certificates. Green Palm, which Earth Balance also use, is meant to be a bit like carbon credits. If the supply chain isn't there, a producer of CSPO can put the palm oil into the conventional supply chain but get a certificate for its sustainability that can be sold separately. You need to break that logistical uh, bottleneck. And one way to do it 
is to ensure there's enough supply so that you can easily pick up the phone and actually bring in physical certified sustainable palm oil. But is that really the bottleneck when the members of the ARSPO who are trading in palm oil actually buy very little, even members who are both traders and producers? And what they are saying is they will respond based on demand. Green palm has come in for heavy criticism because you can't trace it back through the supply chain. But this isn't the only source of controversy surrounding the RSPO. We don't have time to to, to, to go through a list, but obviously Sawit Watch has so little confidence in the RSPO process uh, around local consultation that they stood down from the executive board. It's not difficult to find examples of RSPO producer members who are driving deforestation. And the World Wildlife Fund is sufficiently disappointed with the, the the new CSPO rules that came in this year that it's trying to push for a kind of CSPO plus within the RSPO's own processes. Can consumers really trust certified sustainable palm oil? Um, there's absolutely no use of us having this platinum standard uh, certified sustainable palm oil if there's no one who's going to produce it or buy it. I asked Eric Lamban what he thought of certified sustainable palm oil. Um, you know, we can raise some questions on, 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 on that certificate, but it's a starting point. We are, were never designed to be a niche product, CSPO. We wanted to transform markets. And consensus in the RSPO means everybody in the room had to agree on every single policy that came out, every single guidance, every single standard. So we achieved consensus and that alone is a, a victory because in the past, these seven stakeholders would never sit together in a room. The standards still have to be improved and the uh, auditing has to be improved, but at least it's a starting point. I mean, some have argued that it, it's sort of the standards are so low uh, and there's such minimal uptake that it isn't making a difference. At least there's a process that has brought together the key producers, retailers, consumers, NGOs, and, uh, and, and they are on board, they are around the table, they're exchanging ideas and standards. There's uh, some institutional framework, of course, uh, uh, among all the community roundtables, this is certainly the one on palm oil, is certainly not the one with the most stringent standards. And of course, it went through its childhood crisis, and um, it, it, it's very hard to get it right, you know, uh, at the first shot. So we should uh, accept some imperfections uh, at the start. Mm. And, and obviously, there were a lot of that, where some major agribusiness, you know, uh, corporation declared that they would uh, only source from from certified uh, plantations, but then they've muddied very much the uh, uh, supply chains. They've created these very very complex supply chains where they buy from one intermediary that itself, you know, is providing itself from elsewhere, and and just by multiplying the actors, the traceability of this palm oil became very very difficult to uh, to, to to verify. So um, I think um, you know the NGO world has been very attentive of that, and uh, and, and and these companies have been sanctioned, you know, and their their stakes, you know, these big brands have a huge stake in that. They don't want the image to be too, too much tainted by such practice. And I think we're moving to something that's a bit more traceable, a bit more transparent, and uh, and and more reliable as a system. If you ask a CEO who is a member, a certified member of the RSPO. 
what's topmost on his mind when he gets a new concession area. And the concession area is, is the government saying you can cut down some primary yeah, rainforest. Or whatever. He would first say, and this is a definite departure from the past, where can I find people, experts, to do due diligence on the area that I found in terms of biodiversity values, in terms of conservation values, in terms of local community values. Whereas the past, the CEO of that company would be thinking about how many bulldozers can I get there and who's going to, who's going to operate those bulldozers. There have been incidents where they said, ah, it's not high conservation value, it's degraded rainforest, and there have been orangutans there. Absolutely, and that's why, although we have a system, we also have an avenue for recourse. But of course, you know, it's still only a few years there, so I think we need to continue to put the pressure on the sector to improve the sustainable sourcing. Let me take one in example. Uh, the complaint against IOI over knocking down somebody's rainforest without full um, consultation with the local people beforehand. It's been put into mediation, and that has gone on for years. There is a saying, justice delayed is justice denied. And Absolutely. while this now process is going ask. on, IOI can't certify that plantation, but they can certify all their others. That suspension has been lifted. And it's down to mediation between the people with the money and the power... The people without the money and the power, it's not remotely comparable to a justice process. If anything, it's, well, better than nothing, but it's massively biased in favour of the producers. Interesting you should say that. Um, I will say this publicly. The process has been, been delayed because of delays from all parties. So let's not put entirely the blame on the producers. Uh, you know, what makes us think that the local community can all achieve unity and all agree on the same issue. But it's also good to think about this, Ian. Without this, the complainants had nowhere to go. We've skimmed some issues and haven't had time to discuss the tenth of palm oil that goes into biofuel, the kernel husk, 4% by value that often gets used as animal feed, or any health issues. But Catherine, what do you think? I think Eric said it best. It's up to each consumer to try to restrict the demand of these products. But some demand will remain unavoidable, of course, and that's where we need to be very much preoccupied on, on how sustainably these things have been produced. But just as a second priority, the first one being still controlling consumption. As individuals, I think we can avoid or at least reduce our palm oil quite easily. For us vegans, it will be much better when we switch from using palm oil, which we've come to see as one of our staples, to something that is more environmentally friendly and animal cruelty free. It's just a case of doing some research. Lots of groups are producing palm oil-free lists, and we'll put links to those at theveganoption.org. Even if we're avoiding it ourselves, we can still go further and keep the pressure on companies to move away from palm oil, or at least onto CSPO. And to fill in her RSPO paperwork. At the start, we asked if palm oil is vegan. It would only take a few square metres of yards to supply someone with palm oil for life, compared to the ongoing suffering of food animals. 
the suffering habitat loss inflicts on sentient beings is real, but orders of magnitude lower than the products we generally consider not vegan. We should also remember that vegans have a dramatically lower land footprint. Primary forests need a broader solution. I don't see how we can ask poor countries to maintain biodiversity and carbon sinks for the whole world for free. And this cupcake has a threat to makers of non-dairy margarine. If the, if the margarine manufacturers don't get off the rear ends and produce a product that does not have that harmful impact on the environment, then for goodness sake, I'm going to have to go invent one. A hand up um, across, across my chest. I swear to you, if it's not done in five years, I, I will go into margarine production and make one. Thank you to guests, to Whisper for setting up the interview with Georgina Ash, who is their picture editor, to Fian Karunisa at Orangutan Protection for managing and interpreting the interview with Danny, to Fina Alatas for translation, to Rob Masters and Danny's band Miskin Porno for the music. And to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, there are over a dozen to download and listen to for free at theveganoption.org. Please keep in touch at veganoption on Twitter and facebook.com slash veganoption. Now I've been a guest co-host, I know just how much research, fact-checking and contributor hunting goes into the vegan option. And I do think that many more people would enjoy the show if they knew about it. So please do spare a minute to spread the word. Positive reviews on iTunes are particularly helpful. And if you happen to be in London, England on October the 5th, please come to the vegan option panels at VegFest UK, including finding some funny answers to those questions vegans always get asked. Copyright us.